VeyerWatches.com. The only thing I don't do with my Veyer is sleep with it, or actually maybe I don't shower with it either, but I could. The point is, is that it's the ultimate accessory and it serves me equally well in the ocean or out to dinner. I mainly wear mine with the nylon strap, but it has this ingenious little quick release lever. So you could swap out the strap for the steel bracelet or I have a leather strap. Actually, I have two Veyer watches, so I have four straps total. I mix and match them all. Every watch purchase actually comes with two straps. So the watches have a two-year warranty. They're guaranteed waterproof, sapphire crystal. So again, luxury materials, but really, really well constructed durable, and designs that fit whatever your preference is. Field watches, dive watches, chronographs, Swiss GMTs for those aficionados among you. Check them all out and read other people's reviews and raves from the watch media professionals too, by the way. Veyerwatches.com. I am glad to have these guys with us. They're local here in Venice Beach, California. They are surfers. Proud to wear them. Veyer is spelled V-A-E-R. So VeyerWatches.com. Our promo code is SURF15. So SURF15 for 15% off on VeyerWatches.com. Enjoy. RealWaterSports.com. I just clicked on the sale tab on their site. Check this out. Creatures Surf Pack. It's a board bag, leash, and traction for 50% off. Grand total price of 130 bucks for the board bag, the leash, and the traction. Crazy. Pizel 510 Shadow, 25% off. Rawson 70 Cheater 5, 24% off. Actually, stock up on traction and fins right now. They have a bunch of different traction pads for 25% off. Unbeatable deals. And of course, they work with a lot of the best board builders in the world to offer us a 1500 surfboard inventory and flat rate shipping anywhere on the planet. So, this is why we love and appreciate them and why I've gotten rave reviews from our listeners who have purchased boards from them. So thank you, realwatersports.com. We sometimes discuss and think about surfing finding its way into new regions of the world. The sport is young enough to where we can track most of those origin stories. Felipe Pomar explained here a couple of months ago how fishermen started riding waves on surf crafts in Peru. Of course, we all know how Duke Kahanamoku traveled the world as a celebrated Olympic swimmer and introduced surfing to various countries along the way. In recent decades, it's often the traveling surfers, tourists, in search of empty waves who leave a board behind for local kids, or maybe it's just a half of a broken board that the kids collect washing up on the shoreline. Well, there's another surfing origin story that inevitably follows those stories in those exact locations, but trails behind by 10 or 20 years. And that is the story of the local board builder. Those Groms riding a half of a broken board are inevitably going to want another one or a better one, a newer one, or they're gonna want more so they don't have to share with their friends. And supply chain usually thwarts those board building efforts in those far-flung places, usually third world countries that don't have these systems set up 
So those aspirations are usually limited to utilizing maybe local woods or sometimes repurposing foam from an ice chest lid or a buoy. But then there are also regions that are adjacent to pre-existing surf cultures, fringe developments, where if you have enough time and determination, you can tap into those resources and try to figure it all out. And sure, if you're a board builder trying to figure it all out in a place where surfing is just developing, you're probably gonna toil away in obscurity. You may never even sell a surfboard. It is a long and expensive process to figure out. And that's exactly what Jason Burnett did for a solid decade in a hut in his frigid backyard in Scotland. That was until Instagram, where he was finally able to see what other shapers were doing and where we were able to see what he had been up to for the previous decade. That's exactly where I found him probably more than five years ago when I started following him on Instagram. And I didn't really know anything about his backstory, but I just thought it was interesting that somebody was in Scotland doing this. He was publishing beautiful imagery, beautiful photography of beautifully laminated, sophisticated board designs, asymmetricals, edge boards, fancy stringer glue ups. So I was always eager to see what he was up to next. But then, tragically, last year, nearly a year ago to the day of publishing this episode, there was a fire in his factory and he lost everything. His surfboards, his tools, his materials, everything. But after a year, he's finally gotten back up and running, so I figured it was high time to connect with him, learn about his story, share his story with you, and then learn about board building in Scotland. So, without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here is my conversation with Jason Burnett of J Surfboards. I think a lot of people would be curious just to know how you got into surfing. Um, it's obvious how people get into surfing in Southern California, maybe, where the water's warm, or Hawaii, where it's beautiful and everybody's drawn to the ocean. Scotland doesn't seem as inviting, and I know bodyboarding is the entry point for you and for almost everybody but again how do you just end up being drawn to the ocean and what's what's the origin story yeah so i, I was swimming i've done competitive swimming since the age of nine to about 18 and um some guys that i used to swim with they started surfing down Cornwall, um and then they obviously heard that there's some people surfing around um in the east coast of scotland which is like half an hour drive from edinburgh and, and they were, so I was just chatting a bit, and, and none of them knew nothing about surfing at all. Um, so I was like, any chance I can come down with you and just watch? Because I'm just curious, see what see what you see what you do, you know. So I just went down one day and just stood and watched them, and was like, never seen anything like it. <laughs> I've done. It just it reminded me when I was a kid. I used to I went down to Cornwall sometimes, and I played on the in the sea on like a belly board or something. I vaguely remember it because I was so young and just standing there and just try and get pushed in with the white water. Um, but it never really clicked. And I don't think I saw anybody suffering. But you're at that age, you're just like, you're not really thinking about that, you know, it's, it's different. Um, so I ended up buying a wetsuit in a bodyboard. I mean, I just joined them the next again weekend just to have a shot. Yeah. You couldn't hire anything. There was no hire at all. This was a long, long time ago. Wetsuits were awful. You know, what what year would that have been? Yeah, this is 30 years ago. So 
right. early nineties. Yeah, yeah, early nineties anyway. Yeah. So, and um, it just kind of stemmed from there. I just got the bug. Um, so I just started bodyboarding. Done bodyboarding for about six years, seven years, or something like that. Um, always getting stick from the suffers and stuff. So. The usual. <laughs> Did um. So you didn't have access? Did you have access to surfing magazines or any surf media at all? I was working, I worked in a surf shop in Edinburgh for about four years. Um, very, there's, there was not many surf shops about, it's not a coast thing, you know, Edinburgh's a city, it's not near the sea, it's near the sea, but there's no waves where, where we are. You have to drive half an hour away, so. Um, but there was a surf shop there and I managed, I got a job there for about four years and I was still bodyboarding and, um, it just so happens. I was like, I was, um, the reps would come in selling product from like Rip Curl and Quicksilver reps and stuff like that would come in. So you get to know them, get to chat to them and stuff. And they're all from Cornwall. Um, so they've grown up with that beach culture, which is completely different to us. Um, and just got really friendly with them and pally with them and um, make good friends with the reps and stuff and eventually managed to get a job for Rip Curl. Um, so I left the shop, started working for Rip Curl and worked for them for about four years. And the part of the job was I was still a bodyboard, so I drove drove all the way down to Cornwall, which was like a 10 hour drive. And I got there from an interview. <laughs> and the, the first thing they says, if you want a job with us, you need to start surfing. <laughs> Because like, that would give you more street cred. <laughs> then you can, then you can actually understand it more. You know what I mean? That's what he said. Like you, you have more understand. If you start surfing, then you you'll get it. So that, that was that. <laughs> That's when I started stand up surfing. So the surf shop. I mean, I'm a, I'm surprised that there is a surf shop in Edinburgh. Is it selling skateboard? products as well i mean how is it surviving it's clearly not surviving off surfboard sales right yeah no spell it's cl cloven just the cloven brands then it's something was cool back then you know it was like a it was a cool thing just to wear anyway because you got all the students there's a lot of students at edinburgh um so you got a lot of students coming in just buying the, the brands as well um nowadays it's just doesn't happen um but back then it was a it was such a new thing so you could open a soft shop and sell a lot of product, like T-shirts and everything like that, you know? So, but surfboards are very, you've never made much money off surfboards anyway. Yeah. But you make more of your, your tees and jumpers and stuff. Right. That's interesting, the concept that surfing used to be cool and the youth would purchase it because it was cool and that was influential for everybody else and now they're not. And that's just, that's weird. <laughs> It's weird what's happened. Suffering's like become even cooler though, but that part is kind of like, where did, what happened to it? Well, I'm curious as you're talking about it, I'm just curious what the actual um, history of surfing is in Scotland. Do you have any of that insight? How did surfing find its way to Scotland? I think it was in the 70s. Um some guys, it's just the usual. Some guys were surfing down in Cornwall, down, down in the south coast. Um, and they obviously brought some boards up and started 
looking for places in Scotland um, and trying to find places. Um, I don't know where the first place in Scotland that somebody surfs, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but there was very few people that surfed the east coast of Scotland, which is in the North Sea. And and then there was very, like maybe one or two that tried to go and surf up in the north coast of Scotland, where the most popular wave is and the most famous wave is called Furzo East. Um, and that was pioneered by some early guys. Uh, Pat, I think he still stays up in the north coast as well. Um, and some other guys. There was other guys that pioneered different places. And you're talking like late 70s when this kind of started happening, when they got obviously good enough to try and take on these waves that just look so much more intimidating than something like a beach break. You know, because there's a lot more reef breaks around Scotland than there are beach breaks as well. Um, there's a lot of variety. So but the north coast is where you get the proper swell. Yeah, the East Coast of Scotland's a bit weaker, but um, but yeah, it must be must be like late seventies that people started surfing here. Um, it's, quite, it's still quite young, you know. It's history of surfing in Scotland's not that it doesn't go back that far. Yeah, places, you know, it's still it's still it's growing here. It's getting bigger. There's a lot of things going to happen in the future here as well, which we can talk about later. Yeah. Um, talking about those waves, I think, uh, certain parts of the world work really hard to keep waves a secret. Yeah. Scotland seems foreboding enough to ward off most surf tourism, you know, because <laughs> it's rugged and cold and kind of unknown, I suppose. Yeah. Um, do you guys actively, I mean, do you have great waves that you're actively keeping a secret or is it, what's it like? Is there that culture at all? There's parts of there's parts of Scotland that you will see pictures and stuff, and you'd be like, "Where is that?" But yeah, there's there's places in there's the I I'm just going to say the islands from the west of Scotland. They've got some beautiful waves, but again, yeah. it's cold. It's so far away. It takes so long to get there. You know, it's like another trip on its own. Um, it's like going on a holiday for us from the mainland to one of the islands to go and stuff there. Um, and then for us to go from Edinburgh to the north coast, you're talking five hours to get there. You know, driving up, there's no, there's no other quick way to get there. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a mission, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Still a long way for us, it's, you know. It's but it is, it's definitely worth going up there because you, when the swell's right, you, you get epics, so epic stuff. Yeah. So, What's the um in terms of like it's a young sport for scotland and it's growing what is the contest scene like and are they cultivating young surfers are there like hot ripping groms that are sponsored coming up through that circuit or what's it like that way in the last i'd say in the last two years that's kind of what's coming now it's taken a long long time to even get kids in so i used to surf and you never see a kid <laughs> Never, no kids at all. The only people that surfed were people that could actually drive to the beach. You know, that's when you started surfing. Can you drive? Maybe I can start surfing now, you know, or, or maybe mum or dad surfs, but it's so rare back in like 10 years ago. Um, but now that obviously people are getting older, they've had children, and some of these people are, the families are staying near the coast. Um, so it's just becoming more accessible for children to 
get into this the to surfing. I'm not going to call it the sport, but just get into surfing. Um, and you're seeing um, some of these kids getting pushed into the competition side. There is competitions in Scotland that go about. So it's kind of like a Grom Grom circuit, um, and then obviously the the open side as well. Um, but still, it's 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 going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. No, it's this is like the early early stages of this kind of happening. There's a, there's three or four kids that are looking really good, but on a level of something you'd see in like Californian kids, or you know, or Australian kids, you're talking. It's so different. The levels are obviously the levels a little bit lower. You know. But. Well, let's discuss how you discovered board building. Obviously, in your work timeline, you were working for Rip Curl as a sales rep and discovering surfing. How does that transition into board building? And were there other board builders in Scotland? Yeah, well, I used to, well, the, the shop I worked in, the guy that owned the shop, he made surfboards when I was working there. He started shaping when I was working there. So I was there on my own, basically, most of the time, and he was in shaping surfboards and just playing about doing that. Um, so I started seeing some stuff coming through then. But it never really triggered any interest for me then. Um, it was in, I, st- I left there, I started working for Rip Curl, done that, finished that, and then got a job at the airport uh, and just like doing baggage handling. And then I was just like, I got, I got a couple of boards repaired by somebody. And I was just like, they came back, like not very well done. So I had to fix them. I was like, I, there's no one, nobody else to do it. So I was like, I've got, I've got a hut there. I may as well just get some stuff in and try and do it myself. So this was me just going, I need to fix my board. That was the first thing that happened. I just need to fix my board. Try and, and it's like, I've done a no bad job. Um, and then it just kind of escalated from there. I was just done more repairs because I had all this excess materials anyway from what I had to buy to fix my own one. So I just... People go, oh, can you fix mine? <laughs> you fix mine. It's just, you know, and it just kept coming. And it just kept more and more. And then the word, the word spread that I was doing board repairs. And it just kept going. Um, and then after that, maybe, I don't know, it was only about a year I was doing these board repairs. And then I started getting curious. And I bought a photo, I bought a blank and just went at it, shaped it, looking at the um, Shaping 101 DVD. That one, um, JC, yeah. John Carper. Yeah, I watched that like religiously for days, <laughs> just writing all these notes down on like A4 paper and just kept going through it all and just like watching it, going through it again. It's like, is this the right order that I need to do it in? <laughs> just you know, just watching this this one person with nothing else available to even look at, no YouTube, nothing. <laughs> watching this DVD. So over and over again, so I just had like five or six pieces of paper and I pinned them up on the wall. And then I got this shaping room set up with the stands and lights and stuff. Bought a, like a 20 pound planer. <laughs> yeah. And just went through the list and just ticked things off as I went through the list. <laughs> wow. And it took me a couple of days just to go through all that. Just took my time. Um, but yeah. And that, that was the beginning of that. <laughs> Where did you get that blank? From uh, Cornwall, from a place called Seabase. We were still obviously 
Yeah. Still going, yeah. So. How did that board turn out? What did you build and how did it turn out? I've still, I've, it's funny, I've still got that. It's weird. That was actually in the factory as well. Um, there was somewhere, it was, it was near the part of the farm down. Um, so it's still, I've still got it. It's like crazy. I have still got it. <laughs> it's great. Um, so um, I made a 510 thruster, swallowtail thruster, just something really basic. It was completely flat on the bottom and I just went super basic on the thing. I did not have a clue what I was doing. You know, I was like, I'm making it flat. I don't know how to do concaves. I'm not doing them. I'm not even going to try. I don't understand even how to shape it. You know, so I'm not going to do something that I don't understand yet. So I'm just going to do the basics, what I've seen on the video, and just go with the outline and try and get a a nice enough um, foil to the board, you know what I mean? And that that yeah. was what I was looking for in the beginning. I wasn't thinking they're like, oh, this will help me progress and do other things, but I just shaped it just to see if I could actually shape something and glass it, right. and go through the whole processes of making a surfboard. And then there was no information to put the FCS plugs in the little round ones. I couldn't find any information anywhere on them. I was, like, I was hunting everywhere. I couldn't find anything. So I just basically drilled a hole, sunk them in, went surfing for the first time, and the fringes went straight away. First time just went pop. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't know what happened, did it? <laughs> so I, went, I had to go and research, and I didn't realize that you have to bore through to the other side of the board to make it, fix it, basically, so that the whole thing's solid. <laughs> so lesson learned. Insane. So it's all trial and error when I, yeah. And then I just started making more and just playing about. Um, because back back then, that's like 19 years ago. So it's like early 2000s. Um, so shortboards were still, everybody's still surfing shortboards. Um, so when you start surfing, you look at everybody else surfing the shortboards and you think, okay, I need to, that's, that's, how, that's what surfing is. And this is yeah. what I'm going to be surfing, you know? So this is, the way I should be surfing, this is how it should be done. And you very rarely see anybody on something different. So I didn't see any of that at all. All you're seeing was maybe movies that you watched, you know, for California, guys on fishies and twin fins and stuff, and longboards and like bigger kind of mid-length kind of things, or you know, fun boards, you used to call them. So you never really could, you very rarely could even buy something like that. So I was like, well, I'm just going to try and make these. <laughs> just, just let's try and make them. Look at these outlines and then try and make them. But I never had any understanding of what goes into those shapes and how, why they soft that way. In the beginning, all the, all my boards were just flat on the bottom. I just, because I've never seen it. Yeah. So it just, yeah. And it was, there was, I went on a surf trip to uh, Lewis and I was surfing, um, went there for like four days on a really good chart and this van load of boys turned up and I recognised one of them as a photographer, Al McKinnon, you might have heard him, um, and he was seeing the other, these other guys and I noticed when they pulled up that they had all these boards in there and I've seen this board and I'm like, no way, you've got a skip fried twin fin in there. And I'm just like, what? It's like, is there any chance I can get a shot at? <laughs> so a couple of days later, I actually got a shot of this board. It was the Derek Hind. You know the Derek Hind one? Skip. Yeah. Or the, like the blue... Um, yeah. 
blue and, blue red, and red line on the rails. Yeah. Yeah. It was shaped by a guy, Jed uh, Bushrat. Just Jed Drone. Jed Drone for Australia. Um, so I had a shot of this. And I was like, I was looking at this board and I'm like, what, what is going on with this? It had like this hull on the front and like this rails, like 50 50 rails up the nose. And I'm just looking at it and it's just like, whoa, this isn't, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And that's what just, I suffed it and it just triggered that design in my head. I was like, I need to figure out how to shape hull bottoms and through these rails and the concaves and everything like that. So that's what inspired, that inspired me to actually move on to movement, trying to try um, designing hills and looking more into bottom contours, basically, and trying to figure out how to shape them because there's no one here to show you. So everything I've done has been purely just figure it out, try it. Does that work? Does this work? How'd you do that? So, yeah. How would you fund all of this? I mean, obviously the traditional way is you build a board and you sell it and you get a little bit of profit and you buy more material. But when you're just learning on the fly like that and maybe the boards aren't working that great. Yeah. I was still working at the airport that and then as well. So I was still doing the airport work and I was just tinkering about with boards as well and stuff. And I was starting to get people asking to shape for me to shape them a board and stuff. So it's kind of just the ball started rolling. I never started off by thinking I'm going to start making softboards and try and make a living with it. It was, it was never in that mind frame at all. Um, just because in Scotland so small, it'd be hard to actually do something like that. Um, but yes. Where were you shaping and where were you laminating? In a hut. <laughs> a back, backyard, backyard style. In a hut. Yeah. 12, it was 12 feet by 12 feet, but no, it was 12, 12 foot by 10 foot. I think it was. No, no, it was wider than that. It was wider. It was like 16 foot by 12, 10 foot. So I had it divided into two rooms. So I had a shaping okay. room and a glass in the room. So it's tiny. There's like barely any room to move or put any boards in there or anything. So I divided yeah. into two rooms deliberately so I could have sat like dusty and then just kind of control the resin and keep that room a bit warmer and stuff like that because it's so cold here. Yeah. And then just sand them outside or? Just open the window. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Open the window and open the doors. Yeah. The, win the winter time wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. Um, the factory that burned down is not the building that you're talking about, right? No. Now, right. No. So at some point you grow into an actual factory. Yeah. I get to the point where I'm just, I've got all these boards. I've actually having to put boards in my room and in the house. I'm just like, this is no working. I've got so many board repairs. I'm actually getting too many orders now and I was like I can't work in this place at all it's, it was driving me nuts plus working at the airport as well so I was doing both the jobs and it was just getting was like nah this is too much so I actually decided to so basically quit the job at the airport and see if I could do it properly and then get a place a workshop to take it to that next step so basically take the leap of faith and then the unknown and see if you could make it work. Um, so I got the workshop about was nine years ago. Um, and that took, it actually took me two years to find it though. Wow. So for two years I was looking for somewhere 
were they resistant to you working with chemicals or what was the process? No, I was just finding somewhere that's cheap enough, big enough space, but cheap enough. So it's, it's works, workshop units here are quite expensive if you go into the city, um, but out with the city, it becomes a bit cheaper. So it just took time to just to kind of research and find these places. So it was quite cool, actually, because there was a guy that used to have a, a workshop in the same place I'm in now. He used to have a wedding car business company that was there, and he phoned me up and says, there's a new guy. Well, actually, emailed beforehand, and he was like, there's a new guy that's just taken on the workshops and stuff. He's in charge now. He's a new guy. He's taken people. He wants people to come at the workshops and take them over and do them up. So, because they're all, it's the, the place I'm in is the buildings were built for World War Two in the 1940s. So they're all old brick and like they were um, metal framed, small windows and stuff. Looks like an institute. Um, so they're all old. Electrics were old, so all the electrics had to be ripped to it and stuff. So it got, in the beginning, managed to get everybody that was coming in and taking over workshops. They were getting rent free for a certain period of time and how much work they needed to put in to try and sort out the insides, internals of the, the workshops and make them kind of waterproof, put a new electrics in and stuff, you know, and just tidy it up, basically. So it took, a, it took about a year to get the place set up. What were the economics of the board build? Like how many boards would you have to build a month in order to make that work for you? In the beginning, it was, just, it was probably about four, um, four or five a month. But I was doing board repairs as well. Okay. So the board repairs were helping a lot. Yeah. So consistent board repairs, that, that's, that's where it's at. But making boards, you actually make more doing board repairs than doing actually making softboards. Um, but I've obviously found it now, so so I would never ever leave that to somebody else. So yeah, I don't have to rely on too many boards a month to kind of keep it going. You know, so I'm not so yeah. What's who is your competition? Are there any other board builders in Scotland? And yeah. if not, what boards are available for surfers to purchase off the rack retail? What brands? There's. There's oh, how many soft shops is there? There's only one. There's only one soft shop. Yeah, there's only one soft shop in Scotland. Now. There used to be lots of soft shops in Scotland. There's only one. There's only one left. No, there's two. There's one in Glasgow and there's one down in um, St Abbs, which is just about 40, 50 minute drive from here. So he he started shaping softboards about five years ago um yeah and then there's a guy in edinburgh who i used to work for in the shop he still does a little bit but not much but these i'm the only one that does it in a workshop i just I, I can't do this in one room and glass in this room and do the shape in this room i just can't do it it's, it's too much so i just need more space can we get like the design flowing and stuff just get have a better environment to work in and make sure work better, think better, you know, that's, that's the way I think. And um, so that's why I needed to get that space. Um, so the competition, it's, there's, there's not much. Um, it, it's something that can obviously grow in time. Um, and for getting surfboards, most people buy online. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Because there's, there's no there's no really many places you can go and just look at a board and, and buy it off the shelf or off the rack. Yeah. Unless they order order a custom of the guy down the coast or they can, can come and see me. So I deliberately tried. That's why it took me two years to find a workshop because I deliberately try and find one that's close to Edinburgh the central belt and it's uh, i was thinking well i could get one down the coast which that's cool i can be down the coast if there's waves i could go surfing and he's like well i've got to drive there every day though and then anybody who wants to see me has to drive all the way down there too and if it's flat they're not going to come <laughs> it's just, yeah it's too far to drive so I'll make it easier for the customers um and be closer to the central belt like glasgow edinburgh which is the main main hub in, in Scotland, which is Glasgow, and then Edinburgh. So, I mean, the population of Scotland's there. So, to get materials from Cornwall, do they ship them to you, or do you have to make that drive? No, no, they get shipped up. They get couriered okay. up. It takes a couple of days. So, gotcha. Yeah. But that adds that adds cost, obviously. Yeah, adds a bit more cost. I try and buy, I buy, I try and get orders in, and try and get a bulk order together instead of buying one. I would never get one sent out. It's too much. It's too much in delivery costs. Well, um, the boards that I've seen you building, because I've been following you on Instagram for a long time, and I was just, first of all, your photography is great. So you display everything beautifully, like the lighting and everything. The foam always looks beautiful. Um, and the lamination work looks beautiful. But the boards that you're building were so sophisticated. I felt like maybe you had gone and trained elsewhere and had like a ton of boards under your belt yeah. to hear that you were doing four and five a month. Isn't that many, yeah. but I mean, you're experimenting with things like the edge design, which um, I feel like is pretty fringe. There's not a lot of people doing that. And even the people who yeah. are doing it are still, it's new to them, you know, like it's, yeah. they're still really learning it. So yeah. With that specifically, what is your interest in the edge design? How did you discover it, and what appeals to you about it? That um, actually wrote this down. It's I never realised when I was watching um, Crystal Voyager that that was an edge spoon. I, I bet there's loads of people who didn't even notice it. You know what I mean? Um, and then I didn't see obviously Instagram's so good. You know what I mean? When Instagram kicked off, you were like, well, I'm seeing so many things that are like so cool and so interesting. Um, and I think it was um, Ryan Lovelace. I seen Ryan Lovelace and I was like, what the hell is that? And it just had these crazy curves on the rails and stuff. And I was like, what the, what is that? Where's that come from? You know? So I just started looking into it and I actually met a message. I think I messaged, I can't remember if I messaged them or not. Um, and then I looked, just kind of trying to find a bit of information on edge boards, which there was not much out there. And then kind of stem back to Greeno and then all that. Um, and I started, I seen, um, who else did I see? I seen um, some of Greeno's older edge boards just on Google Images. And that was it. There was nothing on Instagram. So basically, that is Ryan Lovelace's fault. Kicked that design bug into me. <laughs> it's just I was so I'm curious about different stuff because when you when you're shaping stuff that you know about, you know it. 
you know, you've done it, maybe you've shaped it, you understand the design behind it. And I was like, I didn't understand this at all. I didn't get it. So I was like, I need to try and I need to make something like this. So I, I just basically looked at loads of pictures of his boards. Um, and I, I think, I've, I don't know where I found out, but I found out <clears throat> that you have to go a certain depth from the rail to the edge in between this margin of inches. Um, depend, well, just a kind of rough guide. Um, and I just basically looked at pictures and tried to figure out in my head why have they designed it that way? Um, and then, and then how how am I going to shape it? <laughs> That's the second thing. Is like, how do you shape something like that? Where, where do you start? You know what I mean? So it's a lot. Of, it's more complicated. Uh, it's not now. I know how to do it now, but in the beginning, I was just like, just looking at a blank, going, right, what do I do? <laughs> where do you start? So, yeah. Obviously, it looks interesting i could i could see why you were drawn to it but what was were you able to discover through your research what the design philosophy was for why it would work in the water and what was that design philosophy i made the first one i didn't have a i didn't have much understanding of the design i was just looking at the curves and stuff like that and i, sh I made it i shaped it it sat there for about two months because I was waiting on a big swell because I was in the mindset that I needed to wait on this big swell and go out on a, a good day in the East Coast. We don't get many big swells on the East Coast, so we have to wait a long time. Um, and I waited and I waited and I was just like, I was just, I had it in my van one day and I was down at the local beach and the waves were really good. And I was like, I'm taking it out. I can't wait any longer. I'm taking it out. So I got out of the water can't remember what I was riding before I was on it. Um, so I got out of the van, put the fin in, and then paddled out. And the first wave I caught, I, just, I, just, I came off the way and I was like, what, what just happened there? It was, it, was, it, was, it was such, it just, the alarm bells were going off in my head. It was just like, the thing was fast, faster than the board I was on before. It was smoother, more maneuverable. And I was on something that was longer. Mm. But I was riding a board that was shorter, a short board beforehand. And I was like, I rode that board better than what I rode the short board when I was surfing in the same, in the same swell. So I just kept surfing it. And I was just, so yeah, I just started alarm bells going off in the head and just thinking more and more. And after that, after that surf, I was just, this thing's insane. It's so fast, so smooth, it glides. It's easy to turn. It's really, it's not super pivoty because the one I made was seven two, and was twenty wide roughly. Um, so it's not that narrow. Um, I've heard if you go too narrow, they become really pivoty, like quite tippy. Sorry, from real edge to edge, they don't react very nicely to your movements. Um, so they're, they're better and slightly longer boards um but it depends on the software as well like yeah um, but yeah so it's just it made, it made me understand more about what's going on under the board um and i, I got the what's it called on the edge of a dream book the the link to the dvd i was watching that 
and just listen to what they were talking about, how the edge works, how it engages, how it releases water off the opposite side of your surfboard, which no one really even thinks about when you're surfing a surfboard. It's like, what's happening to the water that's actually coming off the board, underneath the board, and coming across to the other side of the board? And what's that water actually doing when it comes off the other side when you're doing a turn? So this is coming to Sunday in the 60s, George Greeno thinking about how can I make my spoons go smoother in choppier conditions and add, add in edges and stuff to a kneeboard. And then eventually adding it to his windsurf board and then realizing, man, this is so fast, it's smooth, it does what I was imagining it does in his head. He's always just imagining what water's doing or something that God knows how his brain works. You know? Um, so it's nice to ta try and tap into that kind of thing and understand that, that design. Let's presume that listeners uh, have seen what the bottom of an edge board looks like. And if they have not, they can just Google it real quick. So we don't have to try to explain it, but what is happening in the water itself? Why are those virtues or how are those virtues that you just described more maneuverable, even with a longer board faster? How are those related to the design itself? So there's, 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 there's like three or four things going on. So the wetted surface on the edge board is obviously reduced because from the rail to the edge is the wetted surface instead of from rail to rail. So you've got less wetted surface because what's happening is when you go on a turn, the water's getting projected off the edge rather than coming off the rail. So you've got like an extra, maybe an inch less they capture so a lot of wet it suffers but the water's actually coming off even faster and the, the rail that's in the water with the edge that's penetrating the water is actually giving you projectional drive as you're going along so it's actually kind of working like a base of fin as well and slight bit of lift you don't feel it too much but you do feel the drive off it when you're going for a turn um, and because of those aspects, the board feels a lot more kind of smoother, but it depends on what bottom contours you put in between your edges. So if you put a V in there with concaves, spiral V, um, it becomes a lot more maneuverable. So it becomes smoother, you're lifting, it's easier to lift the edge. So the edge releases off the surface as you turn into your turn. The opposite edge releases quite quicker. So you don't have to force the issue with your weight turning into that turn. So things become smoother and more stable. And yeah, and, and obviously the opposite edge is just throwing water off it, you know? So you still get a bit of capture, but not much. So that's why it's fast and smooth and all these things. So. Do you generally make them with a single fin? Yeah. 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 You don't. You don't need much fin at all. Yeah. The fin's just directing. The board's driving. So, is there any limitation to the design? Um. Like. I think it's just. Like my question is uh, related to: Would you implement the, that type of a bottom in? a short board and a fish and a long board and everything in between? No. 
than that. I don't think it would work on a shortboard because shortboards, the rails are just so thin anyway and stuff, you know, performance shortboards. You can, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You could maybe have little bits, you could maybe have little bits off it, maybe edges and shortboard edges are quite far up anyway, you know. Um, but I, rec I reckon the, the edge board just, it, it makes something, when you're suffering like weaker waves or something, the edge board makes you go faster. It, it helps you go faster, which is a big benefit for somebody that struggles with speed or people that surf on coasts where there's not as much power in as well. Um, but then they got that added aspect when you go and surf something that's got proper amount of power that that edge board is going to go even faster than yeah. something else. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to change the way you take lines. So you'll be surfing different. You'll be thinking about different stuff and you'll be able to do bigger lines and, and hold the turn as well because it, it generally if you've got a pit like a rounded pintail on it you add more um drag so you, you can actually go into a turn and hold the turn because you've got so much speed so but ellis erickson he's obviously been researching these for a long long time now and he's um kind of narrowed his designs down. You, know, you see quite a lot of that now. Um, his stuff's really cool. He's done a lot of research on it. And obviously, the benefit to speak to the guy himself who designed it in the first place um, and tap into his knowledge. Um, but seeing what he does and, and how he surfs them is, is a big eye-opener. If no one's ever seen anybody surfing an edge board, look up Ellis Erickson and watch him surf one. Have you have you been in contact with him? Um, I think he's messaged a couple of times, but not much, no. Yeah. Yeah, so in regards to my question about limitation, <clears throat> it seems like if you're going to be surfing like a really high-performance wave, like a really good wave that has a lot of um, concave in it and coping, maybe a high performance shortboard would be the appropriate board for that style of wave and you can get the fins out, but anything other than that style of wave, the edge would have all this benefit. You know, if you're not trying to blow the fins out and do airs, the edge board will uh, benefit you. You'll go faster, you'll make it through kind of less powerful sections and you'll be able to maintain longer lines and hold the rail essentially, right? Yeah. That's got it. Yeah, but I reckon if you got if you got like a good software on one and to put something like like a six or edge board, but it'd have to be a wider than what they're riding anyway. Um, like a, maybe an inch wider than a shortboard. It's maybe one way. Maybe one way that people could think about it if you're riding a shortboard is like like eighteen and a half. You'd maybe want an edge board that's maybe an inch wider, just so it doesn't feel so tippy when you go from edge to edge, but it'd be a completely different shape to the shortboard. You want the nose to be wider as well. So the edge can fit inside that board. You know? So you want that line to be fairly straightish. You know, if there's too much curve in the board it doesn't really fit too well. Got it. Um I've actually ridden one of Ellis's edge boards with Ellis. 
I was surfing with him in Australia and I borrowed one from him and that was the only session I think that I've ridden one of them. So, um, it was small. It was like maybe five, 10, five. Yeah. yeah, Like it was shorter than I am and I'm six feet. Yeah. So Quite, quite a full nose, full tail. Yeah. Yeah. And this was uh, 2019, so four years ago. And I feel like his designs have evolved a lot since then. And I think it might have even been stringerless EPS. So it was yeah. real buoyant. And yeah. it would like kind of sat up above the water a bit. And I just felt like I was, um, I was just sorting it out the whole time. Like I never really got a good wave that I locked in on, but I could kind of feel the virtues of it, you know. And it made me curious about it for sure. That's the thing, yeah. That's that's what you want to try and get is to get somebody to go. Oh, I'm curious now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It sparks a bit more interest in your suffering, and then just makes you think a bit differently about your suffering. Yeah. Instead of yeah. being stuck in that, that avenue all the time, just thinking short boards. <laughs> oh my gosh, WaveKey.com. We introduced WaveKey to you last week. Former number one surfer, Brad Gerlach, is the brainchild of WaveKey. He's also the brainchild, by the way, behind the parody sketches on WaveKey's Instagram lately. I don't know if you follow those. You should. They did one um, that was a parody of Office Space. There was another one last week of Talladega Nights. Hilarious. Brad does all the voiceovers for those as well as conceptualize them. So what can't this man do? Well, Brad's been working with pro surfers for a decade or two now developing and utilizing wave key along the way but they aren't surf lessons because this training does not happen in the water your time in the water is limited it's precious you just want to enjoy your surfing and surf up to your potential or maybe even exceed your potential so wave key is designed to be practiced at home in your own space in your own time the forms and movements are probably more akin to martial arts than anything, focused on slow, precise movements that embed powerful surfing body mechanics. These forms, these movements, they become second nature and begin to subliminally emerge in your surfing, replacing the old bad habits that we've all just developed without thinking about it. Well, now with WaveKey, you're thinking about it. Brad walks you through it all, explains it all in video tutorials on wavekey.com, and the process does take a little bit of time to kick in, replacing old habits always do, but when it does, your surfing improves dramatically, noticeably. So our promo code, it's going to save you 20% off the program. Our promo code is a bit lengthy. It is splendor 20 We've written it out on our website, so you can just copy and paste it for ease. But Wave Key Splendor 20, the number's 2-0. Key, by the wave, is spelled K-I. So wavekey.com is waveki.com. Follow them on Instagram to see more insights, but also to have some hearty laughs, too, at wavekey. Thank you, Brad. Wavekey.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. 
your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about the fire at the factory a little bit. Um, you said you were in that factory for nine years before the fire happened. Is that true? Probably eight years ago. Yeah. yeah okay. Years. So it's nine years now. So it's a year ago. So the 26th of this month. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. I know it doesn't feel that long. Crazy. So um, I would presume if you've been there that long, obviously the place is dialed in at that point. It's almost like home for you. Um, what was the circumstances of the fire and what was lost? So everything was lost. Um, I had a friend in there. He was doing um, some ding repairs on a Saturday morning stroke afternoon and um, I've got two jobs I do surfboard shaping repairs and I teach swimming as well oh, okay so I, do, I do that at the weekends like four hours Saturday four hours on a Sunday um, just so I'm not relying on income from one place and, yeah so I was teaching swimming that day until one o'clock and then I dropped into Edinburgh to pick up a, a board off a guy and then I just headed to the workshop and just to start doing some work again basically um, and then I arrived to smoke coming out of one of the workshops as I'm driving in and just what's going on and then obviously got closer and then seen it was coming from from mine and I couldn't get very close or to drive them a different way and get them to back and then try and see what was going on and make, try and make sure I can see him as well, you know. Um, so he was outside, thankfully. There was nobody inside. But it was fully, fully when I arrived there, uh, it was fully established. There was nothing, we couldn't, couldn't do anything. It was beyond the point of even trying to get a, a water hose in there or anything, or even trying to get him, go in the building and try and take anything out that could actually get, couldn't even go near the place. Um, but it didn't take long for that to happen. So it was, the opposite mines there's a body shop to spray paint cars and stuff. They had only just left ten minutes before I arrived and they never seen any smoke. So within ten minutes it was raging. It didn't take long, but it's because of the the buildings, because they're so old, 
They had these uh, insulation panels under the asbestos roof, um, which is like fiberboard, built in the 1940s. There's no health and safety, no fire regulations. That's the stuff that burnt the place down, basically. Because all the timbers in there were treated, they're fire, like fire rated. They're no fireproof, but they're fire rated. So all that stuff would have taken a long time to burn, but it was the fiberboard in the roof that basically made the fire spread through my building. Um, and then into the building next door, there was actually a brick wall between my building and the building next door. And it managed to get through the roof, through the fiberboard and start a fire through there as well, which was like, what the, how is this happening? So that's, we realized that's what it was. It was just this board on the roof, insulation stuff that they put up. Um, but it started from possibly a, a Hoover failing. It's Hoover being left on too long, unfortunately, by the, the friend that was in there. Um, or he sucked up something into the Hoover system, extraction system, that was maybe hot, that he was, do he was doing some routing work. So. It's just stuff, yeah. Things like that, you know. You just can't, you don't really, you can't really do, but it's just, you never know. So something in the vacuum system overheated, basically, and then ignited yeah, the fiberboard. Yeah, either the motor or something being sucked up that's hot, like an ember into the, you know, the cyclone collector into the drum where all the foam was, and it might have started the fire in there, and that might have got up through the metal pipe into the hoover which is above it and yeah so we don't know the fire was that bad you could the fire in investigation team couldn't even figure out when it started so normally in like house fires you know where it started you can always find it where it started because because of all the damage inside the workshop and the whole place was just completely gone and all the stuff inside was burnt away um, so yeah, so you can still see surfboards in there. You can actually still see the the skins hmm. of the surfboards, but the foam inside is gone. Interesting. The fiberglass was still there. Bizarre. It's just like that's mental. It's like it's such a hot fire. But I reckon maybe because the fire was more concentrated in the roof area. Yeah. That it's kind of melting them more. Maybe. Instead of actually burning. Huh. So, yeah, I think it was the heat that melted the foam, but the fiberglass was didn't really burn. I would think that fiberglass and resin would also melt, though. Yeah, well, the resin, I had resin in the glassing room, and that didn't even catch fire. Interesting. I thought that would be the most flammable. So it obviously happened in the roof area, yeah. So the fire couldn't really get down into the the floor level. If the fire started in the floor level, I think it would be that most of that would have burnt, you know. But yeah. So did you have insurance? I didn't know. No. So no contract insurance. Um, there's building insurance, which we all the workshop, all the tenants. So I'm a tenant there. We pay rent to the estate for renting out the, the workshop space. There's obviously they pay building insurance on all the buildings that they have there. So 
the place next door because uh, the it's built on an estate so there's a big um, abbey there which was built in the 16th century they actually use that as like a college and stuff so use it as a, a learning facility if, um, so the classroom had a classroom next door which burnt, it burnt through most of that classroom so they were like well we need to get this all sorted out um, and build insurance is obviously going to pay for most of the stuff you know to get put back in um, so it just took time just to get it all sorted out with that stuff um, so their yeah. insurance would cover their building but not your the loss Nothing of your else. yeah none, none of your personal effects no. no so it's a complete financial loss for j surfboards essentially and you have to rebuild from scratch yeah it's like the beginning again <laughs> that's Crazy. what it's like it's yeah just didn't realize until you start it's like just one little thing and it's like i need to get that i need to get this and i need that again it's like mate so i'm just making some stuff that I had before some other tools so just some basic things you can't buy some tools that you need for shaping and stuff but ultimately you rebuilt yeah 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 it's, it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy it's it's mad because every time i go back in there i've always got I know exactly how it used to be. And I knew, I, I always knew where everything was. You know, it's, when you go in your house, you know where everything is. It's the same when you go to a workshop, any, anything that you got, you know, so you know where everything is. Um, so I still got that feeling that it's, that was there. So, but, and then you've got that other side, that vision of it completely destroyed. And that, that'll never, that'll never go away, you know? So, so you're back in the same space back in the same place yeah gotcha so I, made, I made that decision i had offers of other workshops um and i was just like it took me two years to find the place yeah I've been in there for eight years and i'm just like if this takes another year i'll wait it's it's that's what is you know what i mean it's like if this takes that long even this takes a year and a half I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll wait, get back in the same place. People still know where I'm. <laughs> it's just, and the the place I work in is just it's such a cool place to be to be as well. So it's just a really nice setting. There's very few places like this where you can work in that kind of environment or these workshops and stuff. So it's just a kind of an ideal spot basically. It's not near the coast. It's not near the beach. It's just a nice idyllic um, place, lots of trees, nice grass area, and uh, lots of different um, companies that have different workshops, spaces and stuff, like carpenters and things. So, and everybody, it's like a little community, you know? If I need something, or if I need anything, I just like, go and ask somebody, you got this, any chance to get a bottle of this? Or, you know? So, yeah. Um, has, since you opened, um, has business resumed as it was before the fire? Do you have board orders waiting for you or are you starting yeah. slow? I'm just start, I'm starting slow. So what I'm having to obviously do stuff that was gone as well. So I had seven boards in there that were getting shaped and they were getting made. And so I'm, having to, I'm doing them all again. And I put a post up that um, I'm taking orders 
before I'm basically ready to start so I can try and get something in place to get moving again, you know, just to try and get the ball rolling again. So I've got, I've got six, six fresh orders there. Nice. To fulfill, which is nice. So and a, v- a varied bunch of softboard designs to do. So from edge boards, edge boards, got a couple of edge boards, ASIMs, knee board. Some, Interesting. Yeah, um, some old school fish kind of styles. Have you received many orders from outside of Scotland? Uh, no, not many. I got, I, I made an edge board a lot about four years ago and a guy bought it from Norway. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, nothing outside it. Nothing outside. But the problem is here is the, it's the, um, the tax to ship stuff out. Oh, okay. Got it. So it's expensive for somebody to buy a board out with the UK. They have to pay the import tax. Yeah. You know, or we have to pay an import tax in here as well. So it adds to the cost of the board. So it's it's be- it's more it's better for them to try and find somewhere local, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. For the it's guy costly. in Norway, you were the closest person. Uh, that was making an edge board so it would either be you or you'd have to get it from australia probably or california yeah probably yeah definitely cheaper so these it might that might come in the future you know so yeah i'm definitely going to keep doing edge boards anyway have you been able to spend much time in person with other surfboard shapers two have crossed my path in scotland okay the first first one uh was um jim Jim Phillips. Oh yeah, Jim Phillips. Jim the genius. Yeah, <laughs> that's him. He came over in 2019. He always goes over to Europe to do um, like a batch of boards and shapes and boards in Portugal. Um, and then there was in 2009, he was over with his wife, and he he wanted to come to Edinburgh and go and see the place. So before he came over to Edinburgh, he messaged and says, oh, "I want to come and visit your shaping shaping place." And I'm just like, "Who's this?" <laughs> Did you know who he was? I was like, no. <laughs> I looked him up and I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, yep, yeah, come, come, come. But unfortunately, he, he only had two hours. I only had two hours with him because he came to the surf shop. I was teaching swimming in the afternoon, so I only had a couple of hours. So he got a taxi out to where I was from Edinburgh, and then I drove him back into Edinburgh because I was going back into Edinburgh to do some work. So I managed to get a couple hours of his time, but that was just purely just chat, you know? So he yeah. was just telling me lots of stories about Kelly Slayer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we didn't get much chat about shaping or anything. So I think he'll, he's talking about he wants to come back again. So, so yeah. So. so who is the second shaper? Uh, Tim Crozier so for Blackboard Softboards. He... Um, he he was the one. He was the one that mentioned um, what happened to Scott Scott Bass about what happened with the fire and there's this GoFundMe thing and things like that. So because he was coming over in October, he was talking about coming to Scotland anyway, and he was always chatting to me before the fire happened about getting a couple of surfboards made before he came over. Um, but obviously the, the fire happened and that never happened. But um, so he he came over in October. Um, for a holiday with his wife and his two kids. 
uh, coming for about 14 days. Um, so yeah, so we, we came, so I let them stay at the house for a couple of days because they were all traveling at kind of like different times. So, so Tim and his son came over first and his wife and then his other son came over as well. So I mean, hired, they hired a camper van and just camper vaned up to the North Coast basically um, and scored epic waves. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> his kids surf good too. Yeah, they surf okay, yeah. <laughs> it was completely random, but I ran into Tim the day before he left on that trip. And he I told me that he was going to go spend time with you. Ah, uh, cool. So we drank, we drank a few whiskeys together. So that was nice. He stayed with us a couple of nights, so it was good to chat to another shaper and talk about things that I've done. It's like, am I doing the right thing? And he's saying, yeah, yeah, I'll do exactly the same thing. Well, in that regard, in that regard, how often do you get to ride other shapers' surfboards? Since the fire, I've had to. <laughs> Because I, I didn't have any boards left, um, so I, I lost all all my boards. I lost my wetsuit. I lost everything. I couldn't even go surfing after the fire. Wow! So I, it's funny. I gave um, the first edge board I made. I gave to a guy in Lewis uh, called Colin McLeod, a good singer songwriter. Um, so I gave him a shot of the edge board, and I never got it back. And event, eventually, he's like. I really like this. It's just, I love this edge board. It's just like, it's the best single fin softboard I've ever surfed. It's nothing like any other single fin. Wow. Like that size of board is it's so much better than all the rest. Um, and it's like, well, I'll sell it to you then. So I sold it to him, not for that much. Um, and then after the fires, I got in touch with him. I was like, is there any chance I can buy that back off you? <laughs> So he might he basically just gave me it back. He didn't, didn't take anything for it at all, which was nice. So I managed to get the first edge board I made back. Yeah. So I got that back. Um, and I bought a, what is it, a free, free flight. Phil, Ma, uh, Phil Myers, Australian shaper. He, he's renowned for doing the 10 channels in the bottom of the board. 10 channels. <laughs> Think about that Yeah, one. that's nuts. Five either side. Um, so I seen this for sale. I was like, I need to buy that. I've never seen, like, they're so rare to get in the UK. You get them, see them in North Australia. But um, free flight have been gone since like the 70s anyway. So I've surfed that and I was surfing my edge board. Um, and then I had this other, I seen this other board for sale, a Matt, Matt Calvani shaped board. Actual one off his ones. I was like, what? So I've never seen one of them before. So as a, tw a twins are we um, four channels in the bottom as well. So I bought that. So hmm. riding different stuff. And it's always nice to go back and edge board, but it's nice to have a shot of other people's designs. If you could get any board from anybody on the planet, what would you order? There's, I, I couldn't just say one. I, I couldn't say one. It's hard. It's like I'm so interested in like the like the old designs and stuff as well. Um, it's like quite quite nice to have like a one a board from uh, Rawson. Yeah. Um, what else? Yeah. 
If you could, if I could get a hand shaped surfboard from Almeric, I'd have one. <laughs> That'd be a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, that's a tough question. That one. Well, those are two icons. Those are two good picks. Yeah, yeah. but there there's still so many though. Um, yeah. It'd be nice to have. A, if you could get George Greeno to shape your surfboard, that would be the ultimate one. I agree. You know, yeah. I mean, he's still act. Is he still building boards? Uh, Andrew Kidman has a brand new film out, and he's interviewing Greeno yeah. in it. And I know that he and Ellis spend time with Greeno working on designs. I just don't yeah. know if Greeno's actually building boards himself. You know, well, maybe yeah, maybe just giving his ideas and letting somebody else go with it. Yeah, and I've seen Green, or I've seen them like cutting wire cutting EPS with Greeno. And so Greeno's standing there giving insights and feedback and that sort of thing. But I don't know if he's actually building a board from beginning to end and putting his name on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe they're in the mindset. It's like Greeno is getting on, you know, it's like, let's try and get as much design out of this guy's brain as we possibly can. That he's obviously got other stuff in there, you know, maybe some people haven't really thought about. So, um it's just hidden or something you know so so it's possible possibly that's their idea behind all that yeah um do you what's your ideal surf trip where in the world would you want to go if you can go one space one spot this year where would you go it's tough to be a right-hander <laughs> um jb great call JB on an edge board. That is a great call. That's been on the top of my list since I was a kid. A, J, a J surfboard's at JB. <laughs> Rename it JAY Bay. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Um, is there anybody um, interested in coming up and learning your craft from you? Are there any kids that are interested in shaping or laminating or anything like that? I think that's just round the corner. Um, there's in Edinburgh. There's going to be a you heard of the Wave Garden? Yeah, yeah. They're building a Wave Garden in Edinburgh. Wow, that's going to open next year. Okay. Um, so that's just going to explode surfing a bit. You know, it's going to take take a year, but it'll just surfing's just going to get bigger. Um, it's just going to heighten the actual fact that you can surf in Scotland anyway and open that open the door to a lot of people and a lot of kids so they'll be the industry's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah well you're perfectly positioned to um, benefit from that i would think yeah so it's it's getting to that point where i'm like i need to maybe find somebody to, to help do uh, board repairs um so that's kind of why the original layer of the workshop was completely different to how i played it out now completely laid out totally differently. I should have laid it out this way before when I started, but I wasn't thinking, I wasn't in this mindset that I needed two shaping rooms. So I've built the place with two shaping rooms and a bigger glassing room and then a smaller kind of area where you can meet and greet customers when you come in or talk about the board or just hand over the board repairs without them going anywhere near the, the toxic environment, you know. So. So kind of putting the foundations in place for that stuff that's, that is going to happen. So I'm definitely going to get busy with board repairs when that place opens up. 
Good. Has, has the um, wave pool in, the, in Wales been successful? It was in the beginning and it's kind of, I think it's kind of just leveled out. It's kind of slowed down because there's another one in Bristol that opened up, which is a wave garden. Um, That's right. Model. That's a wave garden model. But the one in Bristol was the first one in the world. Got it. So they've learned a lot after they built that one. Um, so it was, I think it was Edinburgh was going to be built. It was meant to be done in 2019. Um, but obviously the pandemic and all that stuff happened. Investor pulled out and to find somebody else to invest in it. So it's a couple of things that just slowed it down, but it's still happening. Yeah. Um, so, but that's a good thing because obviously the designs improved so much, they've learned yeah. so much. So the facility is going to be really good when it happens. Um, the setting is going to be really nice. It's in a massive quarry, so there's a hundred foot quarry cliffs kind of wrapping around one side to have lots of protection for the wind wow <laughs> which is good yeah um, but the, it's it's going to be kind of like an amphitheater yeah so the pool's at the bottom and you kind of like slopes up the side and then the cliffs on the other side and stuff so it's going to be so cool and it's like um let's say a two minute drive from the airport Amazing. Yeah. So that's going to, we're going to get people coming from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. So I mean, there's so many surfers, I would imagine, who just end up in Scotland because it's, yeah. you know, Edinburgh is just such a destination. Like I've been there, even though I never surfed in Scotland, I've been there on a family vacation. So if there was a uh, wave pool, I would have surfed it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's not far at all. There's so many facilities around as well. There's loads of hotels. So they're going to build, they're going to build glamping pods and things like that. And restaurants, a surf shop. We're going to put a shaping room in the surf shop. So we can kind of utilize kind of different kind of events and things. You know, it's like use, use my contacts and try and get some shapers to come across and do some shaping there. And if they let me, then I'll glass the boards. Um, so yeah, just open, open doors, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's, you know, it's the way it's going. So it's well, it's, it's a whole new chapter for Jay surfboards. Congrats on doing all the hard work, all these years to, uh, be in this position. Yeah. And it'd be great to see you benefit from all of that. Yeah. Um, big, big thanks to everybody that put into the GoFundMe and messages of support. I've not, never had the chance to really say anything to anybody, you know, but just, Huge, massive thanks from personally myself and my family too, because it's been a tough, tough time. Yeah. Get back to, get back to where I'm at with the unit and stuff. So, um, and it's nice to be on your show as well, David. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you. It's great to see you and glad to see you back up and running too. That was heartwarming. I didn't realize it had been a year. I was thrilled to see that you're back up and running. Yeah, so that's on the 26th, which is Sunday. So. Right on, Jay. Well, thank you. I know you got to go to pick up the kid. That's cool. Maybe I'll meet, maybe I'll meet you one day because I'm definitely I'm going to come over. I was maybe planning to come over there. This I want to come over for one of the boardroom shows. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I might I might get there this year, but I'm definitely going to come next year. Okay. 
Sweet. Can't get I'm coming next year, so. I'll be there. Cool. Right on, man. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Just as you were leaving. Jason Burnett of J Surfboards, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I apologize for that ambient noise in the background of his audio. I think he, maybe there was a heater that was kicking on and off. Not exactly sure, but thank you so much, Jay, at J Surfboards on Instagram. Uh, his website is jsurfboards.co.uk. Custom boards, resin art, by the way, that looks really cool. He's done some gallery shows in Edinburgh. And yeah, I would just encourage you to follow him on Instagram because, um, again, his boards are, they look second to none, you know, like the quality, the designs that he's experimenting with, his execution of those designs, they, uh, they're remarkable for how few boards he's actually making in a month. And I'm really kind of, I'd be curious to surf out there and just see what people are riding in the water. I'd imagine that Jay's interest in all of these designs um, would absolutely influence the local surfing community. So keep it up you're doing really killer work and it's inspirational so you could also check out everything that we discussed in this episode on our website surfsplendorpodcast.com i have of course linked to our sponsors wavekey.com real water sports veyer watches linkedin.com slash surf thank you very much and we also have a subscription platform set up we would love to encourage you to support our work for five dollars a month um that's been the backbone of the work since well, not since the very beginning. We've implemented it maybe five years, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. You know, advertising revenue is inconsistent over the years. So having kind of a bedrock of listener support allows us to maintain a level of independence and predictable revenue and all that sort of thing. It's the way that we run our business. So you can also find all other shows that we produce. My voice is on two of those shows, but we also help distribute a number of shows including Surf Stories by the Florida Surf Film Festival, who published an episode with Sterling Spencer this week. Justin Jay, I think, had a new episode out last week. Of course, the guys at Hardcore Surf History are doing great work. And then I'm on every week on Spit with Scott Bass and The Grit with Chess Smith on Fridays. So get it all there. And we're publishing a lot of this stuff on YouTube as well. So you could search YouTube for Surf Splendor and find us. All right, that is all that I have for this week. We've got um, a ton of recordings uh, going on recently. So lots of content coming your way weekly from uh, people around the world. So look forward to that. I will be back here next Wednesday on Surf Splendor. My name is David Scales, of course, and I'm always encouraging you to take a break from your obligations in life, get back out in the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on. Shred on.